welcome to Climate Optimist. I'm Jason Lewis. We decided this week to give Todd a break. And so excited to have Thomas Mills, our resident energy expert here from Down Under. Welcome, Thomas. Thanks, Jason. I'm glad I could help out. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all those of you who've donated to the podcast. As a new nonprofit, your financial support is the reason we're able to bring the latest on climate solutions each week. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. And if you haven't donated but would like to join our community of supporters, head over to our website, climateoptimist.co, and look for the donate button. So based on a number of listener requests, we decided this week to dig into the world of cryptocurrency and its climate impacts. And I'll admit, as somebody who wasn't intimately familiar, the results are pretty shocking. So Thomas, have you uh, joined in on the latest Bitcoin craze? I sort of missed that bus, Jason, and uh, really on purpose. I, I, right from the early days of cryptocurrency, I saw it a bit like the tulip bulb bubble in the 1600s in Holland. And um, the longer this craze has gone on, the more it really starts to look like that whole bunch of speculative investment that um, really doesn't do a lot of good things for the world. Yeah, like you, it's uh, I'm watching with caution and and wondering, you know, when the when the bubble's going to pop. Yeah, it's been said by many people that it's worked out great for the drug dealers and those into dodgy things because it makes it easier for them to move money around. But uh, for the average person, it's I don't think it's going to revolution anyone's life anytime soon. Agreed. Well, with that, let's uh, pivot to this week's reason for hope. And sounds like you've uh, uncovered a good one. Yeah, I think um, for the first time in the US military's history, they've released a, a climate strategy. And um, there was a recent Routers article covering this. Basically, the strategy calls for cutting of emissions by 50% by 2030 and achieving net zero by 2050. The development of all electric non-tactical vehicles by 2035 and basically a 100% carbon-free electricity for all army installations by 2030. So definitely a, a move in the right direction. And yeah. the, the US military's carbon footprint is massive um, as the biggest military force in the world. Uh, they emit more emissions than uh, Sweden, Peru, or Hungary. So yeah, hopefully we can not only move them in the right direction, but those will have trickle-down effects for the rest of us. Yeah, it's it's hard to wrap your head around how large they are. The fact that you know entire countries don't have the 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 footprint of of the U.S. Armed Forces. But excited to see though that that they're moving in the right direction. And you know, many times here in the U.S., when the military makes a move on new technology, it really does help scale things up and bring costs down for the rest of us. You know, like all of our topics. We did a fair amount of research on cryptocurrency in preparation for today's episode, but as neither one of us are crypto experts, uh, if we miss something, look for you to keep us honest. But let's let's start out with the basic question, which I'm sure many of you have, which is, you know, what what is cryptocurrency exactly? Some have called it uh, gambling for uh, for tech billionaires like your Elon Musk's and and Jack Dorsey's. Others have said it's a, you know, it's a payment solution for your, your neighborhood arms dealer or drug lord. And, and some have proclaimed that you know, it's really the beginning of the end of, of cash. Well, you know, in its most basic form, 
Cryptocurrency is just a virtual medium of exchange that only exists digitally. So, you know, the basic difference is being there's no coin or, or bill associated with it. It's not based on an asset like gold. And there's, you know, no central authority like a bank that's involved to, to monitor transactions. And that, and that really leads into the question of like, well, how does it actually work? So without a central authority like a bank and with no physical assets, cryptocurrency relies on a couple of tools to facilitate transactions. The first is what's called a decentralized ledger. And I think of it almost like a community ledger of sorts. So instead of a single ledger that, you know, your credit card company might use to track all your transactions, in the cryptocurrency world, you have a ledger that is shared across the, the network, and there are many copies of it. The second tool is a technology called blockchain that stores the transactions that make up the digital ledger. A block in its most basic form is just a list of transactions and has a unique digital fingerprint. The blocks themselves are linked together by storing the digital fingerprint of their predecessor. So if you had five blocks, block five has the digital fingerprint of block four, block four has the digital fingerprint of block three, and so on. The linked together blocks are referred to as a chain, thus blockchain. The third tool that cryptocurrency relies on is what's called the mining process, where you have a group of computers, otherwise called miners, that are verifying the transactions that are taking place, compiling those transactions into blocks, and then working to solve a mathematical puzzle in order to have their block accepted as the new block. And their compensation for doing all this is new currency. So in essence, miners track the transactions, compile them into blocks, compete to have their block chosen, and if they win that race, they get new cryptocurrency. So let's try a little example. If you're going to the bike shop to buy a bike and going to use your credit card to make the transaction, the bike shop contacts your bank first to make sure you have the funds available. Once that's confirmed, the funds are transferred between your bank and their bank, and then the ledgers of both banks are updated accordingly. If you're going to use cryptocurrency to buy the bike, the bike shop would look to a network of miners or computers to verify that you have the funds available, and then that same network of miners would record the transaction along with a number of other transactions in a block, and then that block is used to update the decentralized ledger that stores all the transactions associated with the currency. Now, to be fair, I'm glossing over a few details, but the reality is as you get more into the details, it gets more complex and harder to explain. So that's my best attempt at Cryptocurrency 101. So with that in mind, it's worth stepping back and looking at the cryptocurrency market as a whole. So as of the end of 2021, there were over 10,000 different cryptocurrencies in circulation and crypto assets surpassed 3 trillion globally. The largest of the cryptocurrencies in circulation is Bitcoin, which some folks may be familiar with. And the second is Ethereum. Did I miss anything, Thomas? And maybe more importantly, how does this link back to climate change? No, I, I think you summed it up pretty well, Jason, and probably not an easy thing to sum up. I think <laughs> the reason we're here is to look into the emissions associated with the transacting of cryptocurrencies and 
it's really not a good place to uh, to look. Yeah. So for folks who may be wondering in the lead up here, I mean, what you know, what is the problem, right? Why is cryptocurrency, you know, getting attention in you know newspapers and periodicals um, and getting you know blamed for having a big carbon footprint? It's driven primarily by the fact that each transaction uses a massive amount of energy compared to transacting with typical fiat currencies, be them in an electronic format, Visa, MasterCard, or what have you, or cash and the creation of cash and its utilization in society, which is rapidly diminishing, especially during these pandemic times. But Bitcoin's energy consumption right now stands at greater than the energy consumption of all the servers of Google, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft. And the consumption of Bitcoin and Ethereum, the second biggest cryptocurrencies, is almost the same as the electricity consumption of the entire UK. So not insignificant. And the, no, the, the thing that really drives this is this proof of work validation for each transaction. And basically what you have is a whole bunch of computers pegged against each other competing for uh, validation of the blockchain. And as the value of the currency grows, so too does the energy intensity as these miners are competing once against one another to validate the blockchain. I guess you can look at it like a, a bit of a digital gold rush. So what, what are your thoughts, Jason? Yeah, similarly, you know, in, in kind of doing our homework for this, it it's clear that the root of the problem is really the energy intensity of a of a given transaction. You know, we know our electrical grid isn't isn't clean, cleaner in certain parts of the world, but given that it sucks up so much energy, you know, it in turn has a has a large, you know, carbon footprint. And one of the reasons why why China recently banned uh what they call, you know, Bitcoin mining because of the, you know, carbon emissions it was generating. And, you know, those those miners, as they call them, have, are now dispersing elsewhere across the world looking for cheap electricity. But, you know, I think the fact that a nation like China basically said, you know, no more, you know, Bitcoin mining speaks volumes to the to the problem. While we're talking about cryptocurrencies, I think it's also worth calling out two related problems. The first is a technology called non-fungible tokens or NFTs. NFTs are a growing trend in the art world and serve as a sort of digital certificate of ownership for virtual or physical assets. They can be bought and sold and you know are marketed as a tool to stop the duplication of digital art. The problem with NFTs is they're stored in blockchain and secured using the same energy intensive validation process of cryptocurrencies. So like cryptocurrencies, they have a massive carbon footprint. On average, an NFT generates 440 pounds of carbon or equivalent to driving 500 miles in a gas-powered car. The second issue is a problem of e-waste. Crypto miners, to be successful, want the latest technology and the hardware they rely on becomes obsolete quickly. This all leads to between 8 and 12,000 tons of e-waste that's generated annually. So I, I guess bottom line, the process is energy intensive. You have this other technology, related technology called these non-fungible tokens taking off. And, you know, that process as well is energy intensive. And then, you know, on top of it all, you've got the, the e-waste problem. So some might be asking, you know, well, how does, this, how does this compare to our currency transactions that we have today, right? How does, how does 
you know, a Bitcoin compared to, you know, a credit card transaction. And while the numbers aren't static, the reality is as of this week, you know, one Bitcoin transaction consumed the energy equivalent to 2.3 million, that's million, Visa transactions. And, you know, as of this last year, the average transaction size for Bitcoin was, you know, $16,000 and and Visa, you know, only 50. But that, that disparity aside, the fact is it's hugely inefficient, you know, when we compare it to existing forms of digital financial transactions. So, you know, all this leads to, I guess, the question of are there solutions out there, right? And, you know, for those listeners who might be advocates of, of cryptocurrency, you know, trying to figure out how do I do this in a, in a more ecologically friendly way? Well, there, there are a number sort of solutions that are on the table and we thought we'd kind of talk about each one separately. So one school of thought is as these cryptocurrency miners, as they're called, are looking for sources of energy, there's been a, you know, a push by some to try to use oil and gas flaring to help power the cryptocurrency mining process. In other words, you know, you you would locate the uh, the facilities on site with, you know, oil and gas and be able to capture that that natural gas that was otherwise being flared, you know, in, into the atmosphere. And so, you know, those who are proponents of the of the solution look at it as a way to solve all the, you know, methane emissions associated with with gas flaring. And on the surface, that can look promising. I think the challenge when you talk to you know experts is that anytime you have a project historically that is designed to capture you know flared or vented gas, has the problem eventually of creating increased demand for gas production, which is you know obviously the opposite of what we want to be having. So, you know, as as one expert put it, it's like if you have a a leaky gasoline pipeline and instead of fixing the problem you plugged in a Humvee next to the leak and left the engine running perpetually with the AC on full blast. So, you know, not ideal. One of the other solutions I know that's been been floated is, you know, focusing on like with many technologies and businesses moving cryptocurrency over to, you know, to renewable energy sources like solar and wind. And Thomas, I know, you know, you have some thoughts there. Yeah, so... Jack Dorsey, who is the founder of the Square Payment Platform, is a big believer in driving um, all of this to net zero by 2030. And he, of course, sees renewable energy as a, as a key part of that equation. But the problem is that we need to deploy as much renewable energy as possible to replace uh, the existing energy requirements of our societies, which is you know, sourced in many places predominantly with the use of fossil fuels. So really, we need to be focusing on having all systems operate more efficiently, not taking something like the financial systems that we have today and shift, shifting ourselves towards a system that on a per dollar basis is almost 2,000 times less efficient per unit of transacted currency. So it, it seems a bit um, counterproductive, really. Great. Let's talk about renewable energy, but let's not go and bring systems into play that are less efficient than what we have today. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the, the reality is, I think in discussions about climate solutions, oftentimes people get focused on, myself included, on hey, it's all about getting off of the fossil fuels. But the reality is, we have such a huge transition that we need to make in front of us. 
you know, the, the other like unsung hero often is, is energy efficiency, right? Like if we consume less, we, we reduce the, the problem today. And so, yeah, to your point, I mean, having a technology that is way less efficient than the one we have for financial transactions seems just like a, a step in the wrong direction. Yeah, I, I feel that sometimes the whole cryptocurrency situation is a, is a solution looking for a problem. I, I think we have a, a financial system there already that works. Um, I, th- I think there was a big pivot towards cryptocurrencies as a lot of governments essentially printed money or did fiscal easing during these pandemic times to try and keep their economies afloat and stop them imploding. And that that pushed up inflation and it made people sort of panic and run to asset classes that they maybe wouldn't normally. Um, and I think that created this this boom or this bubble that we see today. But if we think that we're going to make this mainstream, then um, it's really not going to be in the form that it is today. There needs to be some massive changes if cryptocurrency and this distributed ledger type environment is going to take hold in the future. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I and leads to one of the other potential solutions. And I think you know, from my perspective, the most viable, which is how do you take you know cryptocurrency in its current state and and make it more energy efficient. And experts talking a lot about this this change to the validation model. We've been talking about this thing called proof of work that, without getting mired in the details, is is just very energy intensive. And moving to a different model for validation called proof of stake. I think without getting into the specifics, you know, the, the takeaway for me is just it requires a you know a fraction of the energy. You know, Ethereum that we you know mentioned earlier that is really the number two cryptocurrency out there is in the process of moving to a proof of stake model. And they claim, you know, this all needs to pan out, but it would cut their emissions by, you know, 99.95%. So a huge change in the positive direction. Uh, It's unclear exactly when they're going to make this transition, but they say they're planning to do it, you know, in 2022. And then, you know, Cardano, another, you know, big cryptocurrency, was built on proof of stake validation from from day one, so is already orders of magnitude more efficient than you know, say Bitcoin. So you know, we'll we'll still need to see how this all pans out, but I think there's a recognition, you know, within you know the cryptocurrency space that the energy intensity has to be reduced for cryptocurrency to you know continue to survive as something viable. But even with those efficiency improvements, it still only brings it just within the realm of what we have today with central ledgers. There's no step change in efficiency from where we are today to something better. So, um, And I, I think what you'll also find too, that the, the the central governments and banking systems are going to fight this tooth and nail. They're, they're not going to go down without a good hard crack at, um, at stopping it from happening. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, this takes control out of, you know, out of their hands and, you know, adds, you know, potentially a lot more volatility, which is obviously not what somebody in the finance space thinks of as a good thing. Um, you know, I know the the EU has already called, you know, for a ban on the proof of work validation that we've, we've mentioned. And, you know, there's signs in the US as well that, that, you know, regulation is stepping up 
there's a, there's an awareness of the problem. You know, I know uh, Elizabeth Warren in the Senate was holding hearings focused on you know the energy intensity or energy consumption rather of some of these these big mining operations. So I don't think it's a secret at this point. And you know if these cryptocurrencies don't sort of voluntarily find ways to become more efficient, I think they're they're you know going to be looking at force to become so. So, you know, Thomas, I think this really leads back to what you mentioned earlier, which is it feels to some degree like, you know, cryptocurrency is really a solution in need of a problem. And while I'm not going to in any way pretend to to know all the nuances, the philosophical reasons that cryptocurrency provides value, when we're looking at it from an energy perspective, which is, you know, what we do here, it it's clear that we have something that's already much more efficient. And until the day when, you know, a cryptocurrency can, you know, be substantially more efficient, you know, on a per transaction basis than what we have today, it seems like it's really sort of a redundant system that we don't need. Yeah. And what I'd like to add is like, I'd hate to be the last person on that bus because if you know, central authorities, which we're all part of, as we you know choose to be part of a society, decide that it's not the right thing, you know the the rules can change really quickly, and value can disappear out of those things faster than the blink of an eye. Very true. You know, I, I think the other thing to to call out is the fact that there's you know even some change in thinking occurring within industry. So you know while there are businesses today that are trying to figure out, you know, how to get into cryptocurrency and, and dealing in those sort of transactions, you have somebody like Tesla that decided to move away from Bitcoin, you know, and while they do accept Dogecoin, another cryptocurrency uh, for some transactions, the reality is by moving away from Bitcoin, they've they've shined a light on on this problem. And, you know, I think other organizations, you know, PayPal, and you know, in Squarespace that we talked about earlier, there is going to have to be a long and hard look as these companies, you know, that are you know billing themselves as environmentally progressive, are you know dealing in this digital currency that is you know hugely energy consumptive. So, I guess all that is to say that you know I think these companies starting to you know Tesla starting to lean in and others, you know, could drive some massive change in the right direction all on its own. Yeah, because we've got to make this thing a bit more upbeat because we've kind of just shut on the whole thing thus far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So I guess to recap, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here really quickly and I'm sure in some ways we've created more questions than, <laughs> than answers. But the reality is, you know, I mean, the takeaways, at least for me, are that, you know, we have this digital currency technology that is orders of magnitude less efficient than what we already have today. And if it's going to be something that's that's viable in, in light of being able to solve climate change, that energy intensity is going to have to fall dramatically. And while, you know, wind and solar are growing exponentially around the world, we need to be looking at ways to cut our energy consumption, not increase it. And I think in, you know, the case of cryptocurrencies, I really hope to see the proof of stake model work out and to see, a, you know, a massive reduction in, in the energy intensity. But at the end of the day, you know, unless it's creating benefit above and beyond what we already have in terms of a, a currency system, 
I, I just can't wrap my head around the value. Yeah, I, I think from a climate perspective, don't be sad if you've missed the crypto boat because up until now and up until these proof of stake models become commonplace, it's been nothing short of an environmental disaster. I think until they get all of that sorted, um, in the meantime, I'm going to be heading down to the store and buying myself some tulip bulbs because uh, I hear they're going cheap at the moment. <laughs> let, me, let me know how that works out. I will. I will, Jason. So I think that that all leads to, you know, what what can we do? And, you know, I think the biggest thing, at least from my perspective, is, you know, help spread awareness about this. You know, it, the more that people understand about the environmental impact of cryptocurrency, the more that acts as a, you know, as a forcing function to help drive change. And, you know, if you are going to, you know, purchase cryptocurrency, you want to go, you know, play in that space, make sure that you're selecting a cryptocurrency that that has low energy intensity, you know, uses that proof of stake model to ensure that, you know, in the process we're not we're not making the problem solving climate change, you know, harder than it already is. So if you're looking to expand your cryptocurrency knowledge base, there were a number of great pieces we relied on for today's episode. One from Columbia University, another from University of Colorado. We've got links to those in our show notes, so head over to our website and check them out. So I think, Thomas, that's a, that's a wrap for this week. Um, thanks to everybody for tuning in. You know, Come back next week for more Climate Solutions Reasons for Hope and you know ways each of us can make a difference. Climate Optimists is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the, on the web at climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast.